Sunday evenings and occasionally Sunday mornings, we've been looking through Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. We say his second letter, it was probably actually his fourth letter, but certainly the second letter uh, that we have for us in the Bible. And uh, mainly it's been Liam who's taking us through, but this evening I have the privilege of looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 as we continue in our series. Now, one of the most successful advertising campaigns of all time used the phrase, it's the real thing. And actually, it might be useful to uh, show how successful or otherwise that was to ask you what that was advertising. So how many can remember what the product was? It's the real thing. It's the older hands I notice that are going up here. Call it someone? Coke. Yeah, Coke. Coke. Uh, the drink, that is. Okay. Uh, it, it's the real thing. Uh, Coke. It was a theme that was used in the original campaign that came out in 1969, and it was then repeated in subsequent campaigns in 1991 and 2009. And it clearly uh, struck a chord which is still resonating today. We want authentic. We want real. And we're on our guard against the fake and the phony. Or at least we should be. You look, if you've ever traveled through Southeast Asia, you'll have gone through countries where you can pick up cheap knockoffs of high end brand names, such as Gucci or Prada or. Seconda or Rolex or Chanel or Dior. And they can be relatively easy to detect, the fakes uh, that is. Uh, for one thing, there is the price. You know, uh, I, I remember Kath and I went to a, a night market in Chiang Mai and it was like a guy coming up to us and though I'll be using a sort of an East End Cockney market stall language, that wasn't quite the tone of the person who was speaking, but it was like, hey mate, you know, £2.50 for a real seconda watch. And I was thinking, yeah, I think probably it's not actually genuine at £2.50, but then there are usually other giveaway signs, such as the spelling. Um, I think we came across an interesting spelling of Prada, such as all the stitching, all the material that's used, and for the uh, aficionados, of you, you can work out, because I, I just know you're all into Prada and your Chanel uh, handbags, uh, you'll be able to tell whether you've got the real deal or not by a variety of other things. But look, the question is this, how do you tell the real thing when it comes to churches and their leadership? How do you spot the fake and the phony? Because this was the problem that was facing the young church there at Corinth. A bunch of really impressive people had come into that church and they told them that their founding father, the Apostle Paul, had been sadly deficient in several areas of his teaching. But they were willing, at a price, to help them and to take control and to point them in the right direction. 
And from a distance, Paul becomes aware of what's going on. And he writes a very personal letter, a very passionate letter, trying to warn the church there of the danger of fakes and phonies. And for the last three chapters of this letter, the one we're looking at entitled 2 Corinthians, the tone gets hotter and more combative as Paul tries to expose the super apostles. We'll see that name is used of them in the next chapter. But these super apostles who were muscling in there into the leadership at Corinth. And I think in many ways, this message is coming at just the right time. I think firstly, because this is a time when uh, many students are starting at one of the five universities in Edinburgh and are looking for the right church to invest their lives in for the next three to four years. So how can you sort out the fakes and phonies from real, gospel-driven, Bible-shaped, Christ-exalting churches. For you don't want to waste your time at such a crucial phase of your own development. And it's really good for those students of ours who are going to other universities as well. Some of you, I know, are here. And, and you'll be going to university during this coming week, and you're going to be looking for churches. And you don't want the fake and phony. And secondly, I think September is also a time when new folks are arriving into Edinburgh, moving into Edinburgh for work and the like. And it's also a time with lockdown where others have been calculating what they should do. Now the regulations are beginning to relax. We're all still wearing masks, or at least you are at the moment, but the regulations are relaxing. So what should you do? Should you attend a church or should you shop around? on the laptop for stream services from somewhere or other that just delivers everything you want in the comfort of your own living room. Now, let me immediately make clear that I'm not saying that Charlotte Chapel is the only church that you should attend in Edinburgh. There are many great gospel churches in this city who are led by gifted and godly men. Praise God for that. And you need to prayerfully work out where you will be most fed, most used, most blessed. But the tests we're going to talk about will help you in discerning where that should be. To try and help you not to waste your time on the fakes and on the phonies. You see, the problem with the Corinthians is summarized by Paul in verse 7. He writes to them, you are judging by appearances. You're judging by appearances. You see, to them, what mattered was what was on the outside. How a person looked. How a person sounded. And the reality is that Paul didn't get top marks in that regard. We notice this in verse 10. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive. And his speaking amounts to nothing. And my friends, if ever there's an age that judges things by appearance, it's the age in which we're living right now. Image is everything, you know that. Uh, the youngest ones among you will know that more than any others. Your image is everything. Your Instagram account, your Facebook profile, though again, if you're young, you won't be using Facebook anymore. But that is vital. 
You see, to the ability to present yourself through the best filter with the whitest teeth and the smoothest skin. It is so important for so many, and you will take your time. As Liam was showing us this morning, even on the mirror selfie, just, just trying to get it right, so I'm, I'm conveying the right image uh, to those who are my friends. And of course, if you're on Twitter, you'll want to collect as many followers as you possibly can, and therefore you will make sure that you post regularly just to keep yourself in the public eye. It may be rubbish what you're saying, it doesn't matter, it's keeping your name in front of all your Twitter followers. You see, these are the outward marks of success. This is the business of appearance. And if you go looking for a church, it can instinctively be the superficial and outward marks that you look at. You see, you say, oh, the sermons should be more like TED Talks, you know, limited to 12 minutes with plenty of sound bites and hopefully some good visuals. Whilst the music, it helps if it's edgy and contemporary and the lighting needs to be cool and the congregation should be full of people your own age. And when you listen to the comments of some other individuals, maybe at uni, who want to influence you, they can be full of critical observations about churches which are not quite like their own. They seem very happy to critique other churches, not on the basis of what they teach, but on whether they push all the right cultural buttons. Phony or the real thing? You see, this matters. This isn't just a little diversion that Paul is taking in his letter. This isn't a case of wounded pride on Paul's behalf, worried that people have come in and taken the place he once had. This isn't Paul being overly protective. It matters. It has actually eternal consequences. Look at what he says in verses 4 to 5. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, you see, that there is nothing more precious in the whole world than knowing God, the one who made us. But people resist that knowledge. They don't want to know him. They don't want the joy and freedom and meaning that it, that it brings. They are not going to give rule, the, the control of their lives over to another. They set out their defenses against truth. It's as if they attempt to build an impregnable core which is resistant to the claims of Jesus. Paul actually here describes it as... A stronghold. It actually has the sense. Now, I know castles in this day, in that day, wouldn't have been built in the way that we build them. But go to some of the older castles that we can see, and you'll notice the the best defended place in castles was the inner keep. You know, if the outer defences have gone, then you go to the inner keep. It is the stronghold of that castle area. It is where you can protect yourself most effectively. And my friends, it will only be the words of truth. It will only be gospel words that can break through. Break through strongholds. Break through hard hearts. 
only gospel words, God's words, that can bring men and women to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But that's not what the fakes and phonies are interested in. They'd rather big themselves up in the eyes of society. They, they certainly wouldn't want to cause offence by talking about sin and the need of repentance. And as for Jesus dying as the atoning substitute for sinners, such language appalls their modern sensitivities. No, my friends, this, this matters. This really matters. So let's have a look at four marks that distinguish the real thing from the fakes and phonies. Number one is this, our first point. A godly leader will be humble in character. A godly leader will be humble in character. Paul writes, verse 1, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. And then verse 2, I, I beg you. See, this is not the language of a man attempting to impose his own will upon others. Rather, this is the language of a man who is conscious of his own weakness and sin. A man who described himself as the chief of sinners. A man who remembers that all he has and that all he has done has been through God's grace alone. I want a contrast with the super-apostles that he was exposing there at Corinth. And what a contrast, actually, with many of the church leaders who have disgraced themselves and the church by their bullying over this last decade, sadly. Men who pursued their own sexual perversions and bullied their victims into silence. Last Thursday, Andrew Greystone published his book called Bleeding for Jesus, John Smith and the Cult of Ewan Camps. Outlining how Christian camps organized for public schoolboys were the site of terrible abuse by a QC called John Smith under the cover of so-called Christian leadership. And a couple of months ago, John Dixon published his book, Bullies and Saints, suggesting that the history of Christendom is littered as much as secular history with its collection of bullying leaders. My friends, we need to be on our guard against those who say they're servants of Christ yet act in ways designed to protect their own importance and power. People who are not willing to be corrected, people who make it all about themselves, People who demand the limelight and the adoration. Actually, that's why Paul calls out the Corinthian leaders for the way that they boast about themselves. He says this in verse 12. Is the sound gone? No, we're still here. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. You see, self-publicity didn't begin in the 21st century. It was common in the ancient world as well. Living as they did in a culture in which patronage was far more important, these guys weren't able to get references from well-established and well-known leaders. 
Instead, they actually wrote their own testimonials, or they got their mates to do it, and then they did the same for their mates. And actually, you only have to look on Twitter or Facebook to see the subtle temptation for Christian leaders and writers to promote themselves. If someone makes a nice comment about how they've done, they'll retweet it or share it so that others can see how important they are. Or they'll like the comment, ensuring it gets a wider audience. My friends, I'd rather see the real, honest, humble reflections of a believer than read about how important they think they are. And thank God there are those in the evangelical world and in the leadership of this church who demonstrate such humble, honest brokenness. A godly leader, you see, will be like Jesus. They will be humble in character. Secondly, a godly leader will be obedient to God's call. A godly leader will be obedient to God's call. You see, it would seem that these phony leaders who'd come into the church at Corinth started boasting about all that they'd accomplished, when in reality, it was actually what Paul had done in the first place. That's why Paul writes as he does, verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. A sphere that also includes you. God called me to Corinth, writes Paul. That's why I came. That's why I kept going. That's why I didn't give up. Let me just remind you of how that church in Corinth started. You'll see what Paul went through. All the other references will be on screen, but because this is so large, I haven't uh, put it on screen. It's Acts 18, 1 to 13. It's the history of the church in Corinth, how it started. Uh, and we read this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And then it goes on and says, well, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Uh, it looked threatening. It was actually most, one of the most wonderful things that actually happened during Paul's missionary journey. Now, it's obvious that Paul was afraid during this time. 
Otherwise, the Lord wouldn't have told him, don't be afraid. But he obeyed. He, he kept going. He acted in obedience to what God had told him. For a year and a half, he taught God's word and saw the church established and saw this legal precedent established also that gave the church there in Corinth and in regions around safety. And godly leaders will always keep on following God's command, whatever the cost. They won't go in and claim responsibility for things that they'd never done. My friends, can I say this to you? Look out for leaders who are devoted to obeying God and listening to His voice. Thirdly, a godly leader will be passionate for the lost. A godly leader will be passionate for the lost. Verses 15 to 16. Paul writes, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. See, Paul didn't go to Corinth to establish his own personal kingdom. You know, ah, oh, the church at Corinth, I'm going to stay here all the time and build my own power base here. No. It seems actually the super apostles were trying to do that, but, but Paul didn't. No, he went to Corinth to build them up in their faith so that they, that church in Corinth, would be able to act in a wise and godly way so that they would be teaching others God's word and they would be developing skilled preachers of their own. You see, basically, Paul wanted to do himself out of a job so he could move on in his ministry to the Gentiles and plant more churches where the gospel of Jesus had not been heard. Whereas you see, phony and fake leaders will pander to the people. They'll do whatever makes the people most comfortable. Phony leaders won't challenge believers to greater gospel activity. Phony leaders will make church into a club rather than into a gospel army. My friends, godly Christian leaders keep us looking outwards. You see, it's not about us within these walls. Actually, it's all about them who are outside those doors. That's why our church programs will not primarily be about meeting the needs of our members but rather reaching out to those who are not yet saved. A godly leader will be passionate for the lost, for those without Christ, for those heading to a Christless eternity. Fourthly, finally, a godly leader will be making much of Jesus. A godly leader will be making much of Jesus. See, these fake super apostles had been boasting about all that they had done and how special they were. And Paul's rejoinder to them is devastating. There in verses 17 to 18, he writes, But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. And actually what Paul is doing here is quoting from Jeremiah from the Old Testament. And actually it's worth hearing 
in full what he referenced there in Jeremiah 9, verses 23 to 24. This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. No boasting about me, what I have, what I know, what I've done, but boasting about the grace of God. And that's what Paul did time after time. You read in Acts, the history book of the early church, of his gospel campaigns, which were all pointing, Jesus, uh, pointing them to Jesus. And as you read the letters of Paul that we have here, he wrote them full of glorious, Christ-exalting truth. Just listen to him writing to the Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, it is just so full of Jesus. It's what a godly leader does. Uh, my friends, these are the sort of leaders that we should respect Men who are full of Jesus, men who are full of his worth, always pointing us to him. And let me say what a privilege it is to serve alongside such leaders here at Charlotte Chapel. But before we finish, let me make one closing observation. Although we've been talking about Christian leaders, and, and maybe, and indeed I hope you have, been thinking about this and applying these truths in that way, what we look for in godly leaders is exactly what should be seen in every believer. You see, this is about you as much as it is about them. You see, we're to be real and authentic, not like the fakes and phonies that litter many a church. We're to be humble in character. That means we're not those who say, look at me, look at what I've done, but rather those who say, I am a sinner and I have been saved by God's grace. I have nothing to boast of. But it's Jesus who came and rescued me. It, it's not about me. My friends, we should be those who are humble and real in character. We, we are those uh, to be those who are obedient to God's call. We're to be those who understand God's word and live by God's word, who live lives which are 
self-disciplined, lives which are obedient to his word. Some of you are starting up at university and the temptation to just blow it all and go your own way and do your own thing is immensely powerful. My friends, I say to you, live lives in obedience to God. That's what we're called to do. For in doing that, we find the freedom and joy that we're lacking obedient to God's call, whatever that may be, however God is going to lead you. Some of you are coming to your final year at uni and the questions are beginning to rise up. What am I going to do after uni? Where, what, what am I going to do? I'm, and I'll be saying, well, just, just listen to what God is saying. Some of you will be going into postgraduate work. Some of you will be staying in academia. Some of you will be getting jobs. Uh, some of you will be saying, maybe God is calling me into Christian ministry. Well, whatever he is calling you into, do it and do it for his glory and do it for his honor. Be obedient to God's call. Thirdly, my friends, you should be passionate for the lost. We should be passionate for the lost. It's not about us. It's about our friends. It's about our colleagues. It's about our fellow students. How we long that they would come to know and hear about Jesus. And we want to live lives that are going to commend Jesus in every way. No point coming to church on a Sunday and saying, oh, that was a great Sunday, and then going away and living like hell for the remainder of the week. We want to commend Jesus. We want him to be seen. We're going to be people who are loving and caring, who just recognize, as it were, the, we were talking about this Yesterday, with Mel Lacey here, looking for those echoes of Eden, those reflections of grace, seeing God's character in men and women, and loving them, and cherishing them, and, and blessing them, wherever they're coming from, however screwed up or messed up they are, as those who follow Jesus Christ, we want to show them love, and mercy, and grace. Passionate for the lost. And we want to be those who make much of Jesus who try and point the conversation to him and point men and women to him. And you know, even if you get involved in some big debates, why suffering? What's the meaning of this? Look, folks, get them to Jesus as soon as you can because actually it's in Jesus that you find all the answers that you are looking for. Make much of Jesus. Make much of what he has done in your life. Make much of the peace that you know because of sins forgiven, of guilt removed, of purpose in living. And it's through Jesus that you're united to him and your life is in him and your identity is in him. It's not according to your Facebook image or according to what you like on Snapchat or Instagram. You're in Jesus. You're safe. You have nothing to prove to people. You are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Make much of him. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray that you would grant throughout our land and beyond many Christian leaders who are godly, genuine, authentic, real. Men who sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And Father, would you grant that for each one of us here, the very characteristics that we want to see in our Christian leaders would be characteristics that we reflect in our characters. Because maybe, Lord, you're even calling some of us here to Christian leadership. Make us more like him. Make it obvious. Lord, we, we do live in this world of 
the fake and phony. We, we live in a world where people are so confused by the image that they try to present, which they know isn't real. Help us to be authentic, to be transparent, and to be evidently those who know and love King Jesus, in whose name we ask these things.